Before we get into episode 41, the start of my journey through Light of the Jedi, I just have some quick housekeeping notes. This is our first episode in September, which means it's donation time. Here at Outer Rim Reads, I donate $1 for every patron we have at patreon.com slash outerrimreads to charity at the beginning of each month. By the time I'm recording this, we have 12 incredible patrons, which means I'll be donating $12 to the Second Harvest Food Bank. Hurricane Ida has been absolutely devastating for Louisiana, and thankfully Second Harvest Food Bank has been helping distribute food to those affected by the disaster. They've prepared thousands of food boxes, and they've also been giving out water and cooking equipment. If you'd like to find out more about the work they're doing in South Louisiana, you can go to no-hunger.org. I also want to give a huge thank you to our patrons who make these donations possible and also keep the show going week to week. Your generosity is appreciated so much, and the fact you've chosen to make room in your budget each month to support independent creators in general, but especially this show, is absolutely incredible. As always, too, I want to give a massive shout-out to our Lothal-tier patron, Simon. If you'd like to join our patron community and get access to our patron Discord server, monthly Star Wars trivia nights, episode bloopers and bonus clips, exclusive merch, and more, you can do so for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash Outer Rim Reads. Our 2021 listener survey is still live. This is the best way that you can help shape the future of the podcast, so thank you so much to everyone who has completed it so far. We've got questions about your thoughts on the show's content, your listening habits, any ideas and feedback for the future of the podcast, and more. And everyone who completes the survey will have a chance to win a free Outer Rim Reads shirt. Who doesn't like free stuff? So if you've got around 10 minutes to spare, please do take the 2021 listener survey through the link in the episode description. Your feedback means more than you know. Before we wrap up the intro, I just wanted to tell you all about exactly where I'm at with Light of the Jedi. Season 3 will be pretty unique compared to the last two because I've never read Light of the Jedi before. I'd read the past two books we'd covered, Thrawn and Master and Apprentice, before covering them on the show, so with those books, I always knew what was going to happen, even though each episode was spoiler-free. With this book, though, I have no clue what's going on. I've consumed zero High Republic content so far, so that I could avoid any spoilers. This also means that what you hear me say on each episode will be as far as I've read to that point. I've only been reading as far as I record. You might hear some wild predictions and thoughts. That's been the really fun part about the episodes I've recorded. I'm also putting all my trust in my guests to not spoil things for me, so hopefully you'll all enjoy my first ever walk through this book. So without further ado, let's start our coverage of Light of the Jedi. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 41 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In today's episode, the first of season three, we will be diving into the opening novel of the High Republic era of Star Wars, Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. 
I'm super excited to dive into this one with you all, and I have the honor of being joined by the host of Radio Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast, Alberto Calderon. Alberto, how are you doing today? Thank you for being here. Yeah, no, I'm doing great. You nailed it. Nailed the name. We won't say how many takes, but you did it. <laughs> uh, no, very happy to be here. We were talking a little bit before, but yeah, excited to be here finally talking Star Wars books and Light of the Jedi, uh, starting off the High Republic. Extremely excited to jump jumped into this one by Charles Soule. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, I was, uh, I'd mentioned this to you off air, you know, how your show has been pretty consistent in staying up to date with everything High Republic. And so I was really excited to get you on for this introductory episode, because as far as, you know, what I see on the on the Twitter feed, if there's like a High Republic uh, aficionado <laughs> or expert, I, I might be looking right at him right now. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that compliment. It's, yeah, High Republic, when this was announced, it just, it hooked me. And then every time the High Republic comes up, I'm going to be there. I love talking about this on, on my channel, my podcast and YouTube show. Uh, mostly the books. I haven't really touched the, the High Republic comic comic books. There's a lot out there. But there's a lot of great stories also on the comic side. So don't just stay away from them because, oh, they're comic books. There's a lot of great stuff there. And it connects to the higher story or to the bigger story. But yeah, I love talking High Republic. Love all the characters in there, the Jedi, the villains. And just the world itself, just the place in the galaxy where this is set 200 years before anything that we've known, just give them so much of an open space that I'm loving everything that we're, we're getting. And I love diving into these books as soon as they come out. Yeah, you had mentioned the incredible world that this... Um, I guess that this book takes place in, you know, I should preface that um, unlike Master and Apprentice and Thrawn covered in previous seasons, I have not read Light of the Jedi yet. So as far as recording goes, as far as we talk about will be as far as I've read. So, you know, it seems like there's a, really a fantastic world that's being built just in these first three chapters alone. You know, there's a lot of I guess world building uh, that mm -hmm. was going on, and as we'll talk about, some you know world destroying. But um, <laughs> but uh, I'm really fascinated with just the the scene that's being set in this book. But before we dive into you know the finer details of it, could you give the listeners just a background on where you come from with your Star Wars fandom, and then specifically how you came across Light of the Jedi and your experience with this book? Yeah. Before we start, I just I want to commend you for being able to hold off because Light of the Jedi and High Republic, I think they started in January. We're recording now at the end of August. That's eight <laughs> months. I don't know how you've made it. Stayed away from major spoilers out there. So hats off to you first. It's been painful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I couldn't. I couldn't do that. Uh, so my Star Wars story, basically, I'm a child of the 80s. Like I was born in 1980. So my first movie that I saw, three years old, was Return of the Jedi, sitting in my mom's lap, crying when Jabba the Hutt showed up. That's my story, That's and I'm sticking to it. Do I remember what I did two weeks ago? No. What I did <laughs> so many years, th 38 years ago? Yes. Cry when that slug of Jabba came out. <laughs> and I don't know, Star Wars has always been in my family. Like We had the VHS, we watched it when it came out in TBS or TNT on the TV, Spanish, English, so it was always there. But then I didn't read the Expanded Universe, I didn't do a lot of the old video games, so Star Wars kind of took a pause at, at a moment. 
there was 10 years or something. It wasn't really part of anything that I was doing. I was mostly into Star Trek at that point. Sorry, don't ban wow, me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's was Star Trek. Ne- yeah, <laughs> the next generation was out and it's sci-fi. So that was sci-fi and fantasy is my stuff. So that was the only thing, Deep Space Nine. But Star Wars was always there, but it wasn't what it is now for myself. But when 1996 or 97 comes out and it's going to be re-releasing theaters, and now this is the first time I'm actually going to see them in the big screen. Yeah, I saw it when I was three. It doesn't really count. So seeing A New Hope when I'm 16 or 17 and then Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi just changed my world completely. Uh, Return of the Jedi was my favorite before that point. Yeah, we have the Ewoks and all that. It's the end. <laughs> but when I saw Empire Strikes Back as a 16-year-old, it blew me away completely. And Star Wars took over everything. Yeah, Star Trek, that sucks. Everything else, <laughs> forget about it. Now you can say so, that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Don't, you can edit the first part, not that one. <laughs> um, but then it just took over. I said, yes, this is the greatest thing ever. I knew it when I was three. I know, I know it now. And then the prequels came out when they were announced. And then 1999, Phantom Menace. Forget about the criticism. I love everything about it. Yeah, the dialogue is a little bit out there sometimes. Jar Jar is a little bit wonky. But it doesn't matter. It's Star Wars. We got Obi-Wan. We got Jedi. New. We have the Palpatine. Because I knew that that Senator was going to turn out to be Sidious. A lot of people younger didn't know. I know, oh, this is setting everything up. And then Attack of the Clones and everything, loved everything about Star Wars again. Then, of course, we had that big break between 2005 and when Disney does the acquisition, but Star Wars never left. Again, still didn't read the books, but the movies were there. Clone Wars was there. So Star Wars, again, if you can see my background, you saw in my show, Boba Fett was my guy. I don't care what people said about him before, The Mandalorian. Well, it was basically it. After I saw them in the re-release, it just took over my life. And it led to almost a year and a half ago that I said, I need to find an outlet to talk about Star Wars. I've watched different YouTube shows and different podcasts. I'm not going to be invited to those shows, but I want to be able to talk about it because I might not agree with what they're saying because they're seeing it a different way that I'm seeing it. They might be complaining about a movie or a, or a scene. I say, no, no, from my point of view, yeah, Star Wars, of course, I got to say from my point of view, <laughs> this is why that scene works. And I said, okay, the only way I'm going to be able to be, get out there is just to do my own show. I thought about doing a YouTube show first. I didn't know anything about recording videos. I'm a little bit older than a lot of people out there. I said, ah, no, that's too much. Let me just do podcasting. It seems fairly easy. Just connect it, get a microphone and go. So I started doing a Star Wars podcast, I think January or early February of last year before the pandemic hit, which was great in a sense because it gave me a little bit of time to get used to it before now everyone kind of jumped into it. I mean, there were thousands of podcasts before then. There's a little bit more now. And then probably about 12 or 13 episodes into it, I say, ah, man, doing a podcast, I stopped like 20 times and I start editing as I'm going because I'm repeating myself or there's a five second break that I can't I don't know what to say or I gotta start over and I didn't like this it's taking me more to record than what the episode was so let me just do a YouTube video and I did the first one I loved it if I make mistakes it doesn't matter it's on camera I can play along with it and then it took off and that's where I focus in more just doing the YouTube shows every every week 
and then releasing them as a podcast just for audio version because that's how I start. I just want to keep it. And that's basically my Star Wars journey from movies into them podcasting. And for Lado the Jedi and the High Republic, I remember when it was announced as this Project Luminous. Yeah. We didn't know what it was. It's this literature event. It's going to connect with a lot of other stuff out there. And it's just set in the past. And people started kind of, okay, Project Luminous has to do with the Jedi or with the Force. It's going to be something entertaining and different. And my favorite part about Star Wars is that right there, the Force and the Jedi, the Sith, that's my favorite. I love the war aspect, but the Jedi, the Force, Cosmic Force, that's what I really love. So when finally they made the official announcement of what the High Republic was, there was a, like an eight-minute video that they released with all the writers that were going to be in it. I knew a few of them, Charles Souls, that does a lot of the Jedi because he had done some of the Darth Vader comic books, which are awesome, are great. He did the Rise of Kylo Ren after uh, Rise of Skywalker came out. So I knew about Charles Soule, Claudia Gray. Come on, if you're into Star Wars, you need to know Claudia Gray. So all of that just got me extremely excited. And when Light of the Jedi came out, so reading the synopsis before it came out, it just hooked me. And then this book, as we're, as you'll find out, I'll do my best to keep spoilers <laughs> out of it. It's going to be hard, but this book just blew this era wide open. And in my review, when you watch it after you've read that, you finish reading. <laughs> I cannot say that it had to be this big, epic book, galaxy-wide conflict or whatever that happens, because you cannot introduce a new era in Star Wars. Eh, it's just a little story. Light of the Jedi is like 60 chapters, 400 pages. It had to be this big, arcing storyline to be able to hook all of us into, this is something new in Star Wars, and we're going to be years, kind of spend years here. And I just love everything that Charles Soule did with this book. I Hopefully that kind of covers everything. <laughs> I mean, I, I've heard from, I guess, most of the people that I, you know, interact with in the community have, you know, have been reading with the High Republic, along with the High Republic. And I've only heard great things about what Charles Soule has done with Light of the Jedi as this entry point. And so really... This just kind of, un I mean, I guess now it's tapped into since, you know, it started in last January, as you were saying, but, you know, really an untapped era of Star Wars, like this time period that is so full of possibilities and opportunities that, you know, we, I don't think that we've known anything that goes on kind of in this, I think you had mentioned 200 years before mm -hmm. The Phantom Menace, uh, before the Skywalker saga begins. So it's just really ripe with possibilities and, you know, the, the, the opportunities for like world building and character building and creating this, like you were saying, this galaxy wide mm -hmm. epic. It's right there, right there for the taking. And just from what I've heard, you know, uh, avoiding spoilers, <laughs> I, I've just heard of just how everyone has kind of agreed, maybe, you know, here or there, some people might think differently, but most everyone that I've seen has kind of concurred with just how much of a high quality book this is as this entry point into uh, the High Republic. Yeah, it's again, it's, it's a daunting task yeah. <laughs> to be told we're not just launching a new era in Star Wars and you're going to be the one to lead it for Charles Soule. That yeah. he's a great writer. I know him mostly for his comic work. I'm, I know he's done other novels, not in Star Wars, but he's done his own personal stuff. But for Star Wars fans, he's mostly known for comics. And again, not taking anything away from comic books and how important and difficult they are. But to start something like this adult novel, it's totally different. Yeah. And again, like you said, everyone that I've talked to love everything High Republic. 
and this book is one of the main reasons I just kind of took off running and hasn't stopped. As we'll find out, you know, you were talking about how this book really hooks in the readers. Uh, you know, the first three chapters do that, from what I've uh, found out. But um, yes. you know, before we even get into chapter one, there's this string of a uh, few paragraphs that kind of set the scene of the galaxy. And you mm -hmm. were talking about how I guess one of your favorite aspects of Star Wars and just the the, the universe of Star Wars is you know the Jedi, the Sith, the living force, mm -hmm. um, the cosmic force. I think you had mentioned. And really, you know, this book starts off literally on that note with the quote. The Force is with the galaxy. And, you know, we're getting this kind of almost a, a state of the galaxy description here where we're hearing about, quote, you know, a union of like-minded worlds, you know, a time mm -hmm. of ambition, culture, and inclusion. And the great works. Yeah. <laughs> and great works capitalized. Great works. So, <laughs> which I made a note of like, oh, what? Um, You'll find out. Okay. <laughs> uh, and we do hear about this, uh, the Chancellor, um, I think, uh, is it Lena So? Is that how it's pronounced? I just want to make sure. I have zero ideas how you pronounce names in this book. Okay, that's I fair. do say Lena So, <laughs> okay. but I haven't, I do mostly hardcover books. I don't sure. do a lot of the audiobooks. Yeah. And even with audiobooks, there is confusion yeah. and debates how you mention <laughs> some names. The author says them one way, Mark Thompson that does the audiobooks pronounce it a separate way. So they have this big battle out there. So, yeah. I don't care. I say Lina So. <laughs> we can stay with Lina So. <laughs> yeah, so Chancellor Lina So, it's yeah. a controversial character in the High Republic fandom, Interesting. I would say. Interesting. So, yeah. well, I mean, it started out on a, on a positive description. You know, we hear that yes. she's trying to, you know, bring the the Outer Rim kind of into the embrace of the mm -hmm. Republic, which is very interesting. And we'll, we'll touch on this as the chapters go on about how the Outer Rim is... I think largely unexplored. Uh, it's kind of uncharted, you know, kind of the unknown regions of this era, um, kind of ripe for exploring. And we hear about this program such as the Starlight Beacon, which I yes. am not yet sure what that is, but it's one of these projects that is, you know, ex kind of expanding the, the reach of the Republic into these uncharted areas. And we do hear about the Jedi who are are, you know, as always, the peacekeepers of the galaxy, but that they are present in these outposts in the Outer Rim to kind of give aid, I think, to whoever needs it. And I was kind of interested here that, you know, right off the bat, we're seeing that the Jedi are, you know, as we know them from the prequels, involved in the politics of the galaxy. And I'm kind of just interested to see how that's going to play out, you know, because right off the bat, it's like, yeah, they're they're involved with the dealings of the Republic, you know, um, it's kind of their thing. But I'm just interested, interested to see if it's going to be in a similar capacity to the prequels or how that's going to be different. So that, that just caught my eye. It's interesting, like you said, because you have this out, they say, oh, the... The galaxy core or the chorus and the bright center of the galactic core and all those planets were so rich in culture and all this, but the rim, the inner and mid rim, mm. the outer rim, like you said, unexplored, that's dangerous out there. We have to send the Jedi. Again, as you get on with the High Republic and even this book, you'll find out that's from their point of view. For sure. The outer rim, yeah, it's unexplored. There's people living there, there's societies. It's not unexplored to them. And that's when you'll see some of the kind of different takes into it. But yes, like I said, we all see the Jedi as the, the 
beacon of light, right? And they're out there helping the people that can't help themselves. And the Jedi of this era, they're out there, I think when the High Republic was announced, there's like the, the like the Texas Rangers. They're out there in the in the frontier, kind of detached from the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. So they, they got to do their own stuff because no one can come in and bail them out. So it's, a, again, a very interesting take on Star Wars because hyperspace is not really explored completely. That's why the outer rim is still kind of a little bit away and out of touch. So how do the Jedi deal with those and the Republic in general? Hey, I need help. Oh, it's going to take us a month or whatever to get there. So that's why they have all these outposts with a few Jedi trying to regulate a system or a few planets. So it's very interesting to see that dynamic. And that's why as you go on, you'll see all the Jedi are a little bit different. Yeah. Jedi in the prequel and the uh, sequel, there's really no, not too many Jedi in the OT. But in the prequel, most of the Jedi are pretty similar. Yeah, Qui-Gon is different and Anakin. Everyone else is more, it's pretty similar. Here, every Jedi is completely different. And that's one of the great things about the High Republic. And every character that you meet, it's another great character. It's I can't wait for you to keep reading and finding that out. That was an interesting thing to read about is how it is mentioned that the Jedi in these outposts, quote, operate independently and without direct assistance from the Great Jedi Temple. So that that'll be interesting to, to dive into exactly how that kind of allows them to be more individuals than, you know, how we might see in, in the prequels. But, um, you know, with, with kind of this intro out of the way... I can give my summary for the first chapter, and then we can start talking about uh, part one of the book, which is labeled The Great Disaster. (laughs) Right off the bat, it's not going to end up well. Aboard the freighter Legacy Run, Captain Heda Cassette ensures that all is well on the ship's path through hyperspace to the Outer Rim. Having been a fighter pilot when she was younger, the captain manages her freighter with militaristic precision efficiency, and discipline. The captain leaves the bridge in the care of her first officer as she makes her routine rounds of the ship. Although designed for both cargo and passengers, the Legacy Run is transporting settlers to the Outer Rim in search of new beginnings despite the dangers of the galaxy's uncharted areas. After making her rounds, Captain Heda returns to the bridge. An alarm suddenly rings out as the crew learns that a large obstacle is inexplicably in the ship's path. Although Captain Heda avoids collision, the maneuver proves too much for the ship as the old freighter begins to tear itself apart. And as we'll get to this ending of the first chapter, um, you know, it's very contrasted to the the first quote uh, that the chapter begins with, uh, all is well. Uh, Like you said, uh, all is not kind of (laughs) well. But but what were your thoughts on really a very, as it turns out to be, a very just sudden jarring entry point into this book? This is where Charles Souls kind of gives you a little and takes a lot, right? Because you learn about Heda Cassette, Cassette. You learn about the <laughs> captain. You learn how much she cares about her ship, about her crew, her passengers. You have her whole backstory. So just in a few chapters, you're already caring about this person that you know nothing about. Then you see she's interacting with this little kid that's slicing into the computer system because he wants to watch more holo videos or play some games. It gives you a sense of, okay, these are characters I'm going to like and enjoy moving forward through this book. And she reminded me, I know I mentioned Star Trek at the beginning, kind of those Starfleet captains. 
they're very proud of their ship they're very proud of everything that they're doing she keeps her ship in tip-top shape clean she doesn't need smudges she talks about being in a republic freighter or something and or a big military ship because she was in the solos what is it uh Mm. The Malaster and Solos joined task force and they didn't care for the ship and she's completely different. And then this happens. She comes back to the ship. Oh, there's an alarm. And you think she's going to pull through. Uh, the joystick comes off. She takes command. Oh, she's going to pull through. She's able to maneuver out of the way. But when he says, ah, but the ship couldn't take it, it just starts breaking apart. And she died not knowing if she saved anyone. And that just kills me right there. It's like, Really? We were six pages into this book. We already lost 9,000 souls that are on board. Yep. Yeah, it is the great disaster. So right then, it's one of those great things that anything can happen. Yeah, it's Star Wars. It's uplifting. It doesn't start that way. No one is safe. And this is how the book starts. And it's just heartbreaking to start a book that way. But it catches you to, okay, I got to pay attention to what's going on because at any moment, something's going to happen. So yeah. Those are kind of the first thoughts of finishing this chapter. Wow, really? Already? We're, we're going here already? So. Yeah, that was... It seems, you know, I've read a you know a bunch of Star Wars books, and I think this might be the first time that, you know, the, the people that we meet in the first chapter are, like you said, just taken from us, you know, mm -hmm. pretty much in an instant. You know, usually yeah. it's kind of setting up the scene like, oh, these are the guys that you're going to get to know throughout the book, you know, and <laughs> and this very much was not... It did not end that way, which was very surprising for a Star Wars book. But you're right; it kind of, it just sets the tone right there, and it really, you know, you're really gripped by the book just right off the bat. You know, but we do start off with with this Captain Hayda uh, Cassette. Hayda uh, yeah, Cassette. Just go with it. <laughs> Listeners are probably screaming, however they pronounce it, into the <laughs> into their cars or whatnot. But uh, you know, we start with her, and you know, we're she's um, you know thinking that all is well before she goes off and, and takes her rounds across the ship, um, leaving her, her first officer in charge of the bridge. One of the things that struck me is that when she's walking through the bridge and she's kind of, or walking through the ship rather, and she's describing how it looks, you know, it, it usually it's has a lot of cargo, but there's a lot of mm -hmm. compartments that can also fit passengers. Yeah. And that's what this specific journey is for. I think it said that, you know, it's 80% full of passengers and settlers headed for the outer rim. And, you know, I did think it was noticeable that she did refer to them in her mind as settlers because, um, you know, they're moving, you know, for, for new beginnings and seeking, I think, quote, new lives, new opportunities, new skies. And I think you had, you had mentioned this in your thoughts of the the outer rim and these uncharted areas. To from a certain point of view, they're kind of, you know, dangerous and uncharted and um, but you know how there are, from what you're saying, you know, people, mm -hmm. people out there, but I was, I instantly thought of, you know, the American settlers who you know, colonized out West, you know, traveling beyond their charted borders in search of, you know, wealth and opportunities. And that was very much the vibe I got here, where it was just fascinating to see the galaxy and very much kind of like a, a colonization feel to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what we know from the Skywalker saga to be very familiar, you know, Outer Rim, oh, you know, Mandalore, Tatooine and all that. Here, it's it's kind of just like the fog of war. It's just like unexplored, just darkness. But I, I thought of just instant colonization vibes here where, you know, they're, they're called settlers and seeking new beginnings. And, you know, I, didn't, I don't think it said wealth, but, you know, just new opportunities. And it was just an interesting dynamic to think about in the context of Star Wars as this 
colonization element to what this trip is for. Yeah. So you picked on that a lot earlier than I did. And I'm talking here now with the knowledge that I've read all the books. So when I read Letter of the Jedi and first few chapters, I was right there with, yeah, one republic, we're all together in this. Yeah, the Jedi and Lina Su are the best. We're trying to help the Outer Rim. And then other people started kind of getting in my head and like, hmm, I think you're right. And being from Puerto Rico, which we are a colony of the United States, we're part of Spain and then the United States kind of came up with Spanish-American War and all that stuff. I'm not going to give a history lesson because I don't know everything about it. But it does have that vibe. But also, if the Republic is so great, why are 9,000 people having to be resettled? Because the core worlds are overpopulated. So these people are getting basically kicked out of their home. Maybe the places where they are are now going to be fixed up and sold to more affluent beings or something. And yeah, they're being sent out to the outer rim, like you said, for a new beginning, but settlers' colonization. Are the people in the outer rim going to be happy with this? Unfortunately, we won't find out because uh, they don't make it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Too but, soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things that you're kind of, okay, they're going to go out there trying to get a new life. We understand we've been there. But then when you think a little bit more about it, like, yeah, settlers, are they going to run into people that are native to those planets and to, to those systems? Are going to be better lives for those people moving out there because they're messing up someone else? So, yes, it's an extremely different take in Star Wars to go that deep. That if you're just reading it for fun, maybe you don't pick on it, and that's fine. It's just a, an interesting story. But if you start thinking about real-world history and how it connects to Star Wars, which, yeah, it's fantasy, it's fake and in space, but there's always some connection to the real world. And as you keep reading, you'll start noticing more and more of those kind of, oh, wait a minute, there might be something else behind this. So, yeah, it's very interesting to see it now from that point of view. They start kind of picking on these things a little bit early, at least for myself, because I didn't pick on those vibes when I started, but now going back, it's like, oh, okay, I can see where this is going now. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you'd mentioned world history and connections from Star Wars to, you know, because that's really how our, how just writing is informed is from, you know, human experiences. And, you know, I don't think there has really been a situation of, you know, colonization that has ended well for uh, <laughs> natives uh, to the yeah. to the respective lands in our world. And so that really makes me kind of nervous for what's about, <laughs> for, for what will happen sure. and whether that'll encourage the readers to look at the Republic in a, in a different way, mm-hmm. um, which it's, it's, it's just an interesting foot to step out on. Um, but that is their purpose. So, yeah. uh, you had mentioned that, you know, she, uh, interacts with this kid, uh, Serge, you know, she does enter this common area where, uh, Serge and uh, a bunch of his friends, it's just a bunch of kids are kicking, a, kicking a ball around, which I'm like, are they, is this where soccer came from? Did Star Wars invent soccer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe. You gotta, you gotta go see those holo videos. What right. game they're playing. I noted how she greeted Serge. Uh, she says, quote, hello, Serge. What's the good word? Which cracked me up because it was pretty much just someone in Star Wars saying, oh, hey, what's good? Like, it, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just it kind of just makes this this Captain Hayda uh, just a little bit more likable, just, you know, relating to the passengers, even caring to stop to talk to them, even the even the, the youngest amongst them, which I just I just love their interaction. And, you know, just the, the innocent childlike nature of Serge that we that we pick up on here but it was a, it was just a a great moment here from the captain hater to uh to young surge again it humanizes the captain to hit us a lot harder when 
happen, what happens at the end of the chapter. I also love, because then it just reminded me of The Force Awakens when she's talking about, yeah, these compartments sometimes, we can use them to transport all other things. And we use them, we fill it up with water, make this gigantic aquarium or tank, and we carry it. A survey fish for the Countess on Abregado Ray's private aquarium. It reminded me of Han Solo, the Rathars for King Prana. It's like, okay, I see it. This is something that haulers do. Let me take this weird ass animal to this rich person out there. But then it's fun because she says, again, oh, but she couldn't take care of it. Nobody thought how to take care of a sick animal like this. So she sent it back. So at least she didn't kill it. We took it back. But again, just humanizes the captain and, and everyone in the ship to then Charles O'Connor and rip her heart apart with what he did a few pages yeah, later. You know, because she, she does end back up on the bridge when she sits down. Again, we just have this quote, you know, all is well. And literally the next line is this the, the alarm going off. And, and it's just this very chilling description of what they're seeing through the front viewport, you know, where the, the red alarms are going off, which is kind of tinting their vision a little bit. But there's this quote, through the front viewport, the swirls of hyperspace looked off somehow. Maybe it was the emergency lighting, but they had a reddish tinge. They looked sickly. Something about this imagery, I think it's intended to be ominous and, and gripping, but you know, we've also, to the best of my knowledge, never seen something like this of what ca the Captain Hitta is describing in Star Wars before. I don't know if we have, but it was just a very... I guess when the alarm goes off, you're realizing, okay, something's not well, but just that description I thought was very vivid from Soul, and it's just very gripping, and I don't think it's like anything that we've seen before. No, I think you're right right there, and I think also at the beginning of the chapter, they're talking about how people really don't understand hyperspace. They're still kind of figuring out how it works. They still have all these prospectors, again, with settlers and all that stuff. They have the hyperspace prospectors out there mapping all these lanes, but no one knows how hyperspace works. And then something like this happens. So it's impossible that we're going to have a collision in hyperspace. This can happen. I don't know the science behind it, but it just can't. And then now something is happening. And yeah, it looks sickly. And you just visually, you can see that how hyperspace, we're used to all those blue lights going by. But to see it red, kind of sickly, I don't know. Is it kind of blood type? Is it, I don't know, slow moving that looks porous or something mm. for her to describe her as being sickly? Again, we don't know, but there's something in the middle and she can't get out of the way. So yeah, it's kind of like we're, we're pulling for her. Okay, she's going to be able. It's Star Wars. She's going to save everyone. For a moment, she did. Only for a moment. It just makes me wonder if this object is supposed to be there or if it's just happenstance. Like, I don't know. Uh, it's It was just... No uh, comment. Yeah, no, no, comment. no comment. I'm just... Part of me is wondering if it was put there or maneuvered there or if it is just like, oh, shit, our mapping was off. But it's just it, a lot of questions, a lot of questions from this. And, you know, Captain Hayda is able to, uh, you'd mentioned earlier, manually control the ship. She does avoid this object. But as we find out, the ship is just, you know, too old and massive moving at that speed that even the slightest twitch, um, it starts to give way. And we get this uh, really a, a chilling end to the chapter, you know, where she did her best to, you know, she sealed off the cargo modules, you know, hoping that everyone inside, you know, once the alarms went off, that they went to the safety of their compartments. And just this this chilling quote that I'll, I'll end the chapter with, quote, the bridge ripped open. Hida Cassette died not knowing if she had saved anyone at all. Yeah, man. You know, it's... 
heartbreaking. It's hard. Uh, one chapter in. <laughs> yeah, one chapter in. And I think yesterday there was someone on Twitter posted, what's the most heartbreaking quote in Star Wars? And we all go to the movies, of course. But just that quote right there is heartbreaking. Because like you just said, it's we just started the book. We just met this this character. We met the kid. They tell you how important it is for these settlers to start a new life. And she made a great move. She evaded the, this object that's just stuck, kind of stuck there in hyperspace. But like you said, the ship couldn't take it and she died not knowing she saved anyone. I don't know. It can't get any worse than that. From that point of, I keep saying point of view, but as a person that you're trying to save someone, you're able to save them. We know movies, books, oh, it doesn't matter if I die as long as I'm able to save all these people. She doesn't know. She died. Hopefully people are going to the compartment. She'll never be able to find out, and that's just heartbreaking. You know, we get that great interaction with her and Surge, and, you know, just this, uh, like you're saying, this character is built up to be very likable and humanized and all that, and, you know, to, to die like that, to not know if her last efforts were good enough to save 9,000 souls, you'd said, on the ship, uh, it's it's heart-wrenching, it's heartbreaking, and yes, welcome to the great disaster uh, <laughs> right here. I can give my summary for chapter two, and we can, we can keep rolling. Yeah, go ahead. In a monitoring station in the Hetzal system, Scantech third class Mervyn Getter daydreams about his plans after work. He reflects on the monotony of his job, monitoring traffic entering the system, as Getter would much rather be at the local cantina, flirting with the Twi'lek bartender, Sela. Suddenly, Getter's reverie is broken as he and his co-worker, Velkaran, notice a large amount of objects entering the system at near light speed, unscheduled in the monitoring post's logs. The unexplained activity from the unidentified objects confuses Getter, who can't think of any reason that the system would be under attack. Nevertheless, he and Karan decide to send out an emergency system-wide alert as the objects start impacting and destroying orbital stations and satellites. As Getter and Karan begin to evacuate after sending out the alert, another object appears out of hyperspace, directly in their path, and bearing down on the station. This, uh, <laughs> as, as we'll come to discuss with how this chapter ends, uh, the, the punches keep rolling. Um, what were What were your general thoughts on chapter two before we just keep riding this roller coaster that soul has has put us on <laughs> yeah so we just said they couldn't get worse right heather cassette cassette just died not knowing she's safe for anyone it can't get any worse well it just did because and it's and you have this countdown at the beginning of the chapter like two and a half hours before impact you don't know what type of impact what they're talking about but yeah we made this Scantech third class. They always have to say he's a third class. Yeah. Kind of make a, a, a little joke about it because his supervisor is second class, but she doesn't know anything about anything. And I'm so happy, right? Mervyn Getter finally got the... We've been there. A lot of us have been there. Finally have the courage to ask someone out. Yeah, you're friends with them. There's something more. You want to get that courage and he has it. Once you punch out early, we've all been there. It's Friday. I want to get out of work early, but I'm not going to ask because she's going to mess with me. But she already knows my drink. I'm going to ask her out. I'm not thinking ahead, but I got a place close by and all this. Again, talking about how the High Republic is kind of getting horny out there for Star Wars. <laughs> but now all these things start happening. I think they say, oh, first 10 kind of objects appear, then 40, and then there's too many to count. 
they don't know it's not it's not an attack it's not asteroid they're moving too fast and again your heart didn't have time to mend before it keeps just stepping on it and i think this one hit me even worse because okay we had this bad chapter second chapter is going to be a little bit more lighthearted, and it starts fine and keeping my notes okay this is the character i'm gonna follow throughout the book so i gotta make sure i remember who they are it, no that's even worse at least they try to set up an alarm but they're dead right there's nothing he can do this big object appears right in front of them and just get crushed same thing they don't know if what they did was able to help moving forward and then he's again we've been there's a lot of us with supervisor dark not the most competent out there oh i don't know how to work this system because i didn't take that training because you were here and you had other control yeah. i'm not gonna he's like dude really that other one hasn't been changed in 20 years can you at least do that one? Oh yeah i got it i got it but again it's heartbreakers his hopefully girlfriend twilight a uh, twilight twilight we keep messing names Either i don't way. know <laughs> twilight twilight and he's a Merillion. But it doesn't matter because the, we're all the Republic. Things are changing. People can get together even if they're different species or cultures or whatnot. She's probably dead now on the rooted moon of Hetzal that he wants to go. And again, someone that has a bright future in front of him. He's a young kid, Scantec 3, Mervyn Getter. And again, if we just one slap and another one from Charles yeah. and it, it keeps going and then I know we're not going to the third chapter but when chapter 3 is going to start I'm already bracing for what's next so yeah chapter 2 just keeps punching like was, what do we say punching down when someone's down they keep punching you that's what it felt like Charles is definitely hitting us when we're still down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when our hearts are still broken from from what we just came from but you know, I like you're, you're you're talking about how relatable. You know how we we all were there with where Mervin Getter was. You know, just the boring job and looking forward to you know to the weekend and all that. And I did notice you know some of his thoughts here when he's thinking about this local bartender Sella. Uh, he's thinking, quote, she was Twi'lek and he was Miriallen, but what difference did that make? We are all the Republic. Chancellor So's big slogan but the people believed it. And I was thinking that's just a very stark contrast to the galaxy that, you know, say we get in the Clone Wars, where there's mm -hmm. like a lot of division, or I guess especially from especially from humans to other species. Um, you know, but here I know that Getter is not human. He's a, you know, Miriallen. But it's just, it, it was just very interesting to read about this state of unity that the Republic is in and how this We Are All the Republic is really resounding from, you know, really from the first pages, you know, through even, you know, through even the mind of, you know, someone just young and looking to get off of his job. <laughs> uh, it was just a very stark contrast where the galaxy is now compared to where we know it ends up being very, very different. And that's one of the great things of the High Republic, not just about the Jedi, High Republic in general. It's because now, again, you're two chapters into it, you're already thinking about it. It's how did the Republic, the Galaxy, and the Jedi, when you start meeting them, from the High Republic era, end up the way things are in the prequel. Because it's a complete construct. It's what happened in those 200 years that had this big shift. And we don't know yet. We're... I'm like six, eight, I don't know how many books into this. We still don't know. But that's one of those great questions. And it's great, right? We're all the Republic and head south, if I'm not forgetting, mistaken, is in the Outer Rim. Yeah. Which I just said, oh, maybe the people in the Outer Rim don't want this. Well, some of them obviously do, does or do. 
Mervyn Geddes, one of these, yeah, she's a Twi'lek, I'm Miri Allen, but we're all the Republic. People's perceptions are changing. We can make this work. And it's very, again, it's something we are not really used to in Star Wars or just in life in general, if we get it, want to get into that conversation, which I don't think. But it's great to see that kind of in the forefront in this new era. And hopefully, I know it, we keep seeing that as we go on, and hopefully as the High Republic is moving closer and closer to the prequel trilogy, we'll keep seeing this and then f- find out what happened to have that switch. And with the Jedi, you're going to see with the Jedi, you're going to be asking yourself every single day, what the hell happened? Yeah. You know, and, and we're seeing some differences with the Jedi uh, in at this point of the galaxy, you know, where uh, Getter is looking over to uh, Karan, his co-worker, and she's, you know, reading something on her data pad. <laughs> and we get this really, I thought, a hilarious section here. Um, I'll see if I can read it. He's uh, thinking about what she's reading. Probably one of the Jedi romances she was always obsessed with. He'd read a few. They were all set at outposts on the Far Republic frontiers, full of unrequited love and longing glances. The only action was the lightsaber battles that were clearly a substitute for what the characters really wanted to do. <laughs> Just like, are the Jedi getting it? <laughs> yeah. Again, I won't, you gotta keep reading. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a soap opera, right? That's what she's reading, those, all those hollows. But like we said before, there's always some truth to that. So, yeah, again, High Republic it makes you, again, I say question, what happened to the Jedi to change their point of views and their philosophy so much? But, it's, again, it's something that we don't see in Star Wars, but it's something that happens. It's just someone just laying back watching TV, basically. We don't see this in Star Wars. There's no time for that. You love Thrawn. There's no time for Thrawn to be watching TV or Jedi romances. But it's fun to kind of just see that aspect in star wars like yeah your incompetent boss is just watching tv and i had i had a boss like that he just put his feet up watch tv during lunchtime but that was an hour and a half while we're working he's watching tv and like yeah really i gotta go work while you do this so again it's real life but it's funny in a way that she kind of does and makes you start thinking okay what's going on with the jedi why why are What's going on? I gotta figure figure this out. Something, something's definitely happening be, uh, beyond the scenes that uh, maybe maybe <laughs> I'll read more about. But yeah. uh, you know, we do get the moment where they start to pick up these anomalies on the scanner. You know, they they don't know what all these objects are that are you know entering into the system at you know almost at at light speed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of uh, you know, I forget what irony this is i don't know if it's dramatic irony that we you know we know more than they do but we can gather that or at least my impression was that these are pieces of the legacy run that are exiting hyperspace you know how really it legit just tore itself apart into hundreds of, of pieces um and i thought it was interesting you know he's wondering why the Hetzel system would be targeted if this was some kind of attack and you know on one hand i gotta call out the, the names of the moons for uh Hetzel, uh, for, for the prime world that has two moons called the fruited moon and the rooted moon i know yeah. they're agricultural you know uh societies but surely they could come up with some better names for their moon <laughs> yeah they're pretty bad <laughs> at least you know what they are you won't get lost which moon are you i'm on the rooted moon man not the- but yeah, not Sounds the fruit. Like a pub. Of, <laughs> yeah, I'll make you the fruited moon pub. Yeah, they're kind of weird names, but yes, we think they are the the pieces of the legacy run. And then if you start thinking about the previous chapter, what if there are compartments with people in there 
crashing into all these satellites and just maybe they are safe and now they're crashing at light speed and now they're not just makes it even worse uh, yes to... yeah it's let's go back yeah fruited moon that's just a weird stupid name and the rooted moon we'll stay with those instead of <laughs> come on the people that are dying. <laughs> yeah, come on head cell i know you have bacta you can come yeah, up right? with a better name they kind of mention oh there's something here bacta that they think they might kind of be able to manipulate or something to this protected self and, and for us we're back that that's the most important medicine in the world why are you say that you're not don't have anything important to kind of give the world yeah it's it's that stood out to me too just seeing how they're kind of just starting to discover the uses of bacta in mm-hmm. medicine and just again just to see the galaxy in such a different spot than what we're used to where there's really a gap in the technology from you know the Skywalker saga to now and how that's really manifesting itself on the page where it's like oh we got this bacta apparently it's supposed to revolutionize the medicine field but who knows and we you know we know that yes it does but it's just interesting to see the the differences in the galaxy from from now and just the gap in technology and all that it's just uh some some neat world building and really sinking us into the to the time period of the moment like you said we know the history of it we know a lot of the backstory or future story for them. So it's it's interesting to see all these things still kind of developing. But yeah, it's just great to see from a different perspective. And even though it's mentioned more in Chapter 3, it's how Hetzal is a different planet from Coruscant, for example. I know I'm jumping a little bit, but Hetzal, for me, is the opposite. It's this planet, very ag- agricultural. Everything has to be planted or serve a purpose where Coruscant is just city-wide everything. There's nothing alive. If you read the Catalyst novel, there's a little patch of land still in one place, but it's this city-wide planet, like we're told in, in Phantom Menace, and then Head South is completely different. Everything needs to have a purpose, rooftop gardens, algae that they cultivate in the rivers and lakes and all that stuff. So it's great to see this different perspective in two different type of planets. For sure, definitely, and you know we'll uh, see more of that in in chapter three. But just the you know I I like finding out about these worlds that you know people say that Coruscant is oh one of the best planets in Star Wars. I'm just like, is it though? You know yeah. when you look at somewhere you know like Pijal and Master and Apprentice, and then as we'll see from uh, Hetzal in the next chapter with just this rich farmland and just lush you know just life, all, you know all these crops and fruit vines, and it's just it's really um, yeah. I like these kind of contrasts where we see what what more is out there in the galaxy that you know we haven't seen before yeah and you know what else had Sal has that Coruscant doesn't the rooted and the fruited uh, moon so maybe Coruscant, Coruscant is better <laughs> <laughs> damn it they don't have that yeah. <laughs> alright just make the whole planet a city you mess it up with your right. moon name <laughs> you've done that yourself <laughs> I want to find out yeah. who named those moons and just yeah. Just find out where they're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> you have um, done, yeah. And then we do get the kind of the end of the chapter where they are able to get this distress signal off, or kind of this alert, this system-wide alert uh, to everyone to know that there's something wrong here. And as they're beginning to escape, I'll just kind of read the last bit of the chapter here. Quote: Vel nodded and levered herself up out of her seat. Yeah, let's get out of. One of the objects leapt out of hyperspace so near and moving so fast that, in astronomical terms, it was on them the moment it appeared. A gout of flame, and the anomaly vanished, along with the monitoring station, its two scan techs, 
all their goals, fears, skills, hopes, and dreams, the kinetic energy of the object, atomizing everything it touched in less than an instant. You know, just two chapters in, and, and Charles Soule has no chill whatsoever. Uh, you know, it's no. just it's just talking about even just mentioning, oh, you know, their hopes and dreams, their ambitions, you know, all of that just wiped out in just the blink of an eye. It's just a chilling way for this chapter to end right after how chapter one ended with just literally all that death and now even just two young scan techs just kind of just going from day to day and you know after they you know you were saying earlier you know with how captain Heda didn't you know she didn't know if what she did saved anyone at all really here they died not knowing if their efforts were enough to save anyone but it's just this, this really ruthless start to this book that is just it's just so unlike anything in star wars that i've read before and it's just really gripping writing from a soul you know in the first two chapters he's pulling no punches yeah it's because at least for myself when i finish the first chapter and uh, that happens you don't know you think everything might have just disintegrated disintegrated right there and when it's talking about because this chapter starts with like three hours before impact or two and a half hours before impact i thought that the impact was what happened in chapter one so when i'm reading chapter two oh they have two and a half hours before that incident in hyperspace and then all of a sudden this happens so, oh wait, wait i thought they had more time and then this kind of changed my view of what's going on and you think, oh, no, they'll be fine because we just lost so many people in the first chapter that we won't lose them again. But again, it's the same thing that Charles saw this with Heda Cassett in making us care for these characters. In, and chapter two is even shorter than chapter one. It's like three, maybe four pages. And you already care for poor uh, Scantec 3, third class Merv Mervyn Gator and hopefully his future and then it's just taken away from him and from us just so quickly like you said not pulling punches lets you know we're in for a ride right from the beginning yeah and I like you're mentioning out mentioning as well you know with each chapter each of the few chapters that have come first now you know we're getting this you know two and a half hours to impact two hours to impact and right now you're kind of pointing out so you know you're kind of making me realize that I'm wondering what this impact is you know because uh I, I you know like you said you we would have thought that it would have been what happened in the first chapter but i guess that wasn't even an impact you know she avoided the object so right now i'm just i'm wondering because even with chapter three it's two hours to impact and so it's just uh, this this air of mystery right now that i feel uncomfortable with <laughs> yeah i know i know it's it happened it's gonna keep happening chapter three is another one that it grips you so and we'll get into it. It's okay. Are we again gonna go through this? And then the chapter kind of ends in a different note, thankful. In a different note, yeah. And I can read my summary, and we can talk about how that all unfolds and how it does end on thankfully a different note. <laughs> the Hetzal system is in utter chaos as Minister Eka tries to make sense of what is going on. On Hetzal Prime. He and his cabinet witness the tranquility of their planet devolve into panic as many citizens try to escape the catastrophe ensuing. The Minister of Technology, Kevin Tarr, pulls up images depicting hundreds of objects destroying orbital facilities and impacting the planet's moons. Deciding that nothing can be done to protect Hetzel Prime or the system from the devastation, 
Minister Eka orders a system-wide evacuation. Across the planet, riots break out at spaceports as both rich and poor alike attempt to flee on whatever limited amount of starships are available. Where Hetzel Prime was peaceful only hours ago, order has broken down on the planet. However, a glimmer of hope appears as Jedi Master Avar Chris responds to the system's distress call. Like you said, the chapter ends on a drastically <laughs> different note than the previous two. Yes, thank, thank God. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, what were your uh, what were your general thoughts? What were your impressions on chapter three? Dude, I'm going th- I'm going through chapter three. Say not this again. You can't do this a third time, and it's not worse because now it's going into the planet, and we have this minister that really doesn't know what's going on. Oh, we didn't kind of spend enough in military defenses or security because, again, Hetzal is a planet. We're at peace. The Republic is at peace. No one's going to attack us, so we don't have a a means to defend ourselves. Satellites are exploding. Everything is coming to the planet, to the moons. Maybe the most deserve it for those names. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) You heard it here. (laughs) Um, But then you have this Minister of Technology, Kevin Tarr, kind of, too bright to be in that room with those people, connect some droids to at least see what's going on. But when it says, and I'm sure you have the, the exact quote later, saying, oh, and then a message came back and it was what they needed to hear or something to that. This is Jedi Master Avar Chris, help is on the way. Dude, as you not, I teared up because I felt that hope. Call me whatever you want. But when she said, this is Master Jedi Chris, we're here to help. And then it says hope at the end. I teared up and I think I fist pump in the air because I felt that. I was right there with them. Again, Charles O is a master. I was there. And there's another part later when you have that same feeling when the Jedi show up. To me, it was finally the Jedi here, there's hope because they need it. And I felt that 100%. It shows you why those first two chapters were so important. Because this, if this is chapter one, okay, yeah, the Jedi, we, we knew that we're coming. Two chapters after everything has happened, it just hits you the right way. And you finally feel that Star Wars is about hope. Here are these great Jedi that we've been hearing about. Finally, someone is going to be saved. So I was right there with Kevin Tarr and the ministers. And I was so happy for them when this happened. But yeah, I teared up. The insta that I read, Jedi Master by Chris, I was right there with them. Especially just with this buildup, you know, the literally first, you know, literally two chapters to start off the book of just devastation and loss and death and tragedy and then for this chapter to end in that way it's it was just such a it was so needed <laughs> and it was yes, just a, yes it was the, needed. the breath of fresh air you know the the feeling of hope that was really just the first two chapters and a lot of the third chapter really are just bereft of and so uh you know i think minister Eka's, you know thoughts you know what he says to kick off the chapter quote is this real is kind of just same you know we're we're still probably wondering as readers like is this is this real is this star wars right here (laughs) yeah yeah and it's and it gives you more that real world things when it says yeah some people didn't care about the emergency notice they didn't think it was real is it a drill and we've been there every time we get a notice on our phone I'm sorry to say, but when it, oh, it's an amber alert or a silver alert out there, we kind of glance at it, oh, it's making too much noise and just kind of back away. Living in Florida, oh, there's a 
like a th thunderstorm notice or a flash flood and like yeah whatever we get those every day we don't think about it so i understand why some people out there was like yeah whatever it won't affect me or this is just another they're just messing with us so you feel you're like no get the hell out of there something is coming but then again it's not like getting in a car not everyone has a starship to get off world and they mentioned this not everyone can get off world and the people that can can take everyone so it's again that kind of feeling of hopelessness so some people might make it others won't will everyone die there's there's someone i don't know if you mention it later that tries to get like 500 people in their ship but it's again it's too heavy now and then it explodes killing the people that couldn't get on it their engines i think backed up or something so even when you're trying to save hundreds of people it backfires and again you still think you're going back okay we're back on this again chapter one gave us chapter two gave us the same thing is this gonna end the same way but then again we have that message of hope at the end that kind of lifts us all up but it's that kind of tension that you is this really happening again but again in the minister it's kind of doesn't know what's going on is this real what can we do there's nothing we can do because we don't have any planetary defenses because the budget didn't budget for this so i don't know man it's one of those things that you you don't know you don't know what to read you want to stop reading but at the same time you want to keep going because hopefully they'll be saved yeah and hopefully they will be able to get saved you know after yeah. uh chris shows up but you had pointed out or you had mentioned the lack of you know planetary defense you know there wasn't the room in the budget for that and that was something that stuck out to me because that was you know there's there's a lot of external tension with you know, obviously everything that's happening, but there is a kind of another layer here when, you know, the minister is asking, you know, pretty much, you know, why are we so blind to what's going on? You know, why can't we see what's going on out there? Yeah. And there's this quote, minister, respectfully, you know why. Your recent cuts have reduced Hetzel's security division to a tenth of its former size. And later he goes on to say, once maybe we'd have had a chance, but system defense hasn't been a priority here for a long time and i was just i was wondering if you know at least to me i wonder if that's maybe like a seed of like a theme for something that might happen in the book where like there's this conflict between those who are content with peace you know the, the republic is in a great spot you know of just no no war it's just everyone's in agreement you know like-minded worlds but then there's may, maybe some conflict between those who are kind of frustrated at the lack of security and those who are, you know, kind of content with how things are. And I just, it was just another layer of tension that I thought was interesting to to note, you know, and how it's, it's very pointed, like, you know, you're kind of at fault here, Minister, for not seeing to our protection. And it was just, uh, it was pointed. It was, uh, yeah. Not to jump into other chapters in the book or other books when they might be explored, but it kind of reminiscent to sequel trilogy and the New Republic. Yeah. Mon Mothma didn't want to, a republic army that's why the resistance is born because they don't have this planetary defense i mean this fleet there's a little bit that we see gets destroyed in the force awakens but Mon mothma was against war she didn't want anything to do with it and then the first order arose from all that so it's a little bit similar oh we're at peace we don't need any fences eh, peace isn't forever unfortunately but yeah it's maybe if we have some defenses we could have been a little bit safe now we gotta 
have Wonder Kid here, Kevin Tai, hook into some droids and tell us what's going on. Thankfully, he was able to, to give them some, some kind of visual to at least yeah. see what's going on, even if they don't fully know what these objects are. You know, earlier you, you had mentioned how, I guess even in Chapter 1, how the settlers who are moving out into the, into the Outer Rim, you know, there's a reason that they're going out there is because they don't have enough money maybe to stay in the Republic and to, you know, have kind of successful lives there. And so there's the kind of that gap between rich and poor there. And, uh, you know, hear how most of the people on Hetzel Prime don't have access to the necessary transportation to even evacuate the planet. Even if there's a system-wide evacuation, mm -hmm. most of the inhabitants don't even have access to that. And even at the spaceports, we hear about these riots between those who can afford the high ticket prices and those who can't and how the rich like oh they've already got their starships and yeah it's just some really some some heavy doses of this social commentary to an extent you know between you know we we know very much in in our world the the gap between different socioeconomic st uh, classes and the the conflict that can create and here it's uh, it's happened multiple times you know kind of hinted at in the first chapter and now we see it really boiling over you know with riots and people fighting one another for just a way to survive off this planet and you know really how even in the republic you know i think it was mervin getter who was thinking like the republic it, it works like this is how things should be but maybe you know it works for certain people depending on who you are yeah it works for some um and again just not getting too much into this because i don't know nearly enough to talk about it but look at what's happening in afghanistan people are trying to leave you see the videos from the airport they can they don't have the means to escape the horrors that are happening there or that might happen it's the same thing not everyone has means to get on a spaceship and escape head south so just because some people might, or, or it's Star Wars, it's like having a car. Everyone has their own spaceship. No, they don't. It might work in the Republic for some people. It didn't work for all the settlers because either they don't have enough money to be in the core world or it's overpopulated so they have to move out. But then even going to the Outer Rim, a planet like Hetzal, like we said before, is not as technologically advanced maybe. It's more agricultural. So not everyone has the means to escape. They don't have a lot to give to export. So there's not a lot of income coming because they haven't figured out that back. This were going to be very important. So yeah, there's, we need to escape, but how? And again, we see it in real world when there's flash flooding, not everyone has enough time to leave the areas before the waters rush in. So it gets you that tension like you mentioned before. We know what's coming. Are they able to escape? Or do they even have the means to escape what's coming? So it just builds that tension that thankfully ends with hopefully some of them or most of them being saved. And I love also when the minister, Mr. Eka, is sending a message to Kurosan to all the Jedi outposts and one of the other guys, oh, it's not going to work. It's coming too fast. But he says, even if that message saves one person, then it worked. So even though the minister is at fault at some point, he still has that kind of feeling of hope that if I can save one person, it will be worth it. You have to commend him, you know, for, for what he was saying there. That was a very powerful thing. You know, even one person saved, that's, that counts. And, you know, how I think he told his cabinet, you know, if you are free to evacuate. If you have a spacecraft, you know, you can get out of here. And yet he's staying in, back in his office 
and he is, I think, continuously broadcasting to the people, trying to keep some sense of calm, even if it's not working. He, you know, we hear about these riots that are going on. You know, it's no one's calm, um, but you know, still the the, <laughs> the effort that's there to try and, as a leader, to try to lead by example and try to do the do the best he can to to help the situation in any way. You, you got to commend him. You know, you, you did mention the really tragic, uh, everything's tragic so far, but, you know, the, the, the one <laughs> traitor on the rooted moon, ah, cringe, uh, you know, who tried to fit as many people as he could in, in the freighter. And I think it was almost 600 people that, you know, died when the engines exploded. So really, it's just punch after punch. But, you know, you had mentioned and we talked about a bit the hopeful note that the chapter yes. ends on. And I think I'll I'll just, you know, read it here. Because you know, especially after everything, all the tragedy that's happened, you know, uh, Kevin Tarr is putting through the signal that they're picking up and, quote, words crackled into the air. One of the technician's comm droids broadcasting the message out into Minister Eka's office. A woman's voice. Just a few words, but they brought with them, yes, the one thing they needed at that moment. This is Jedi Master Avar Chris. Help is on the way. That one thing hope you know i'm thinking to myself now this is star wars like here we are there's there's the hope that we need there's the hope that is trademarked to star wars and you know i got chills reading that here you know you said that when you read it for the first time you teared up there's just the emotion behind this feeling and this sentiment and this word this one thing that means so much to really anyone in star wars you know us as fans and then also for the people in this story that has become so vivid the suffering that they're going through and to just to know that that one thing that they need in that moment is this hope and you know will that be enough um you know i'm wondering what the jedi will be able to do to help but it's just (laughs) it is a much better way to end a chapter than everything that we've gotten so far (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when people ask me what does Star Wars mean to you and stuff like that, it's always hope. To me, Star Wars is about hope. And this ending reminds me of the ending to Rogue One when that technician or tell asks Leia, oh, what did they brought us? And she turns around, hope. It's the same thing. What does Avery Chris bring hope to the people of Hetzal? And it just, it elevates us. And it, like you said, this is Star Wars. Now we're getting into it. Yeah. It's like the way I saw after I finished it, it's like a three-story act, right? But we got act two in act one, basically, because we saw the the bad part at the beginning, and now we're starting basically act three, which is the resolve, everyone's coming together. So it's kind of broken down in a different way, and I'm so excited finishing that chapter three to, okay, now here comes the, day, the Jedi, the Republic, Eval Chris is the main character of this book, at least the main Jedi, so it's great to see her here and then I know what happens but for all the people out there it's what can one Jedi do with all these emergencies coming out of nowhere Yeah, we'll see but at least she brings hope to those people that heard that message and it's like you said this is Star Wars this is what we wanted yep. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm wondering what even one Jedi two Jedi you know three can do with this whole catastrophe that's happening just literally just everything blowing up and so much death but you know just that one word hope and and will that be enough um it is enough for them in this moment to to cling on yes, to exactly. that is what Hetzel 
Prime and what the Hetzel system needs. But that's what we end on. And a really just a, a nice note to end on after what has been a, a roller coaster <laughs> ride, pretty much a, a downward roller coaster ride. But um but Alberto <laughs> yeah, as, as we down. as we close up and you know uh concluding these three chapters, do you have any closing thoughts uh before we wrap up? So closing thoughts it's again thinking if I've only read these three chapters is what's next? Can first off this first three chapters just hooked you right there to the story. Like I mentioned, it's something big is happening. Uh, we're now going to get introduced to the main characters of this book, but very excited to see what's going to happen. How is Avoy Chris and where is she? Because that's just a message. If she light years away, can she get there in time? Will the heads up people just be, or oh, at least we got the message and we're ready for the next time. Can they be saved? But very interested in, to find out what the Jedi are going to be able to do and what type of Jedi they are because the High Republic got sold to us. So is the Jedi in their prime? And we're now we're introduced to that first Jedi. Let's see what Jedi in their prime really is all about. So very exciting to see what's going on in future chapters. But the setup in this, in this first three is just perfect from Charles Soule. Because it, like I mentioned, it starts a separate way. It's not happy and then kind of brings you down. It started down and then hopefully now we can start moving up. So can't wait to see your your thoughts after you keep reading this <laughs> Me book. Me too. Really, uh, that's a lot of pressure on uh, Avar Chris's yeah. shoulders, you know, showing what the Jedi in their prime can be and then also please save everyone. <laughs> but uh, Alberto, before we end today, do you mind... Uh, talking about you know what you do you mentioned your podcast earlier if the listeners wanted to find your work and what you do online uh, could you tell them where they could do so sure first thanks andrew again for having me here it's an honor to be always invited to talk stories in a podcast and doing it in a different way not just talking about the news of the week so thank you for inviting me uh for people out there if they want to follow me they can follow me on twitter and instagram at radio rebel pod um, usually, mostly on Twitter, I do post my my pictures with my Star Wars helmet once in a while on Twitter and Instagram, so you go check those out. We do our YouTube shows every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern and then release those as audio podcasts the following Monday, usually around 11 in the morning, so you can either watch the video or listen to it when you're going to work or school. Not during class, but you know what I mean. So just search Radio Rebellion Podcast on YouTube. It will show up or any podchaser where you listen to podcasts. You can find us there. And also have a webpage that I started a few months ago, RadioRebellionPodcast.wordpress.com. Yes, it has the WordPress there. It's the free version. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but that's where I have all my reviews for the High Republic books, for all Star Wars books that I've been reading probably since the beginning of this year and some from last year. And then any news item, I also have links to my shows there. You can watch them straight from the website, so you can check those out also. Uh, taking a little break right now from the podcast, depending on when this comes out, but hopefully coming back for season four of Radio Rebellion podcasts early September, and hopefully we can have you back again as a as a guest on a day that there's not a storm where I lose my internet connection. You have to take over for 10 minutes. But joking aside, it was great having you there and it was a lot, one of my favorite shows. So thank you for being there again. Thank you for having me here. Of course, man. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. And, you know, I, I do have to say, listeners, I hope you do give a follow on social media. Um, at, you know, on Twitter, your gift game is... Uh, uh, unmatched by, by <laughs> anyone, and uh, yeah, I feel I'm like Avar Chris on Twitter. Every time I'm gonna post a gif, I'm I'm oh man, they're waiting for something. I gotta I gotta represent. So 
but yeah it's it's fun man it's you gotta twitter you gotta keep it live you got you can't get bogged down with all the negativity out there so if i can just put a little gift out there to give people a little fun it's it's, it's nice you do a good job of that and i appreciate that and uh listeners i'll post links to the radio rebellion podcast and all of alberto's social media and youtube channel in the episode description Alberto, thank you again for making this happen uh, sure. <laughs> for what will be uh, for everything that I've read so far. You know, these first three chapters, an exciting ride into Land of the Jedi. Yeah. Thank you, man. Before we close out today, I'll give our first Searcher Readings discussion question of the new season. We've entered into a totally novel era of the galaxy. The Jedi and the Republic are in a golden age. Galactic expansion is taking shape. Technology we've taken for granted in the Skywalker saga, like Bacta, is just being introduced. What are you most excited about at this stage of the galaxy, and why? I'll post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Comment and send your responses on any of those platforms, or you can send them via email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com with the subject line, search your readings. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay connected to the show as we continue through Light of the Jedi, you can follow us on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. If you'd like to support the show and get access to our Discord server, episode bloopers, stickers, and more, you can do so at patreon.com slash Outer Rim Reads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Gayhod, is hosted by Andrew Gayhod, is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Gayhod as well as Simon Van Bakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 42. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Or try to. Everything is chaos. Uh, help us, Master Avar Chris. You're our only hope.